Hello and welcome to the In the Ring Pedigree Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornital. So glad to be back with you in Saratoga Springs. And there's a bit of a vibe around town. It's been a little star-crossed so far. The weather has not cooperated, but we're hoping that's going to change just in time for the likes of the man I'm about to introduce and so many people in the breeding and sales side of the business to arrive here in Saratoga Springs. And we'll start things off today by introducing the co-host of this program, Windstar Farms, Sean Tugel. Sean, how are you today? Good. Doing well, Pete. Did I see that you made the uh, trip to Storyland in New Hampshire? <laughs> is that correct? That is correct. And uh, w w it was an amazing day. It was a Monday, right? So in the old days, I never would have been able to do that. Not going to be leaving Saratoga on a Monday when I'm here on a Sunday. But with the two days off, we made the journey over to, we were staying in Western Maine, but Monday we were at Storyland, which the uncharitable way to describe it would be a low-rent uh, Disney World. The correct way to describe it is just this really fun, sort of refurbished, old-timey theme park uh, with lots of rides. And it being a rainy Monday, it was an incredible day to go because there was no lines, no waiting. We were talking about being able to go on the, the log flume, the bamboo shoot, as they call it, spelled C-H-U-T-E, see what they did there, and, you know, go on it and get right back up and go on it again, and it was just great fun for the kids. What do you know of Storyland? Well, uh, several uh, trips to Storyland as a kid. We, uh, we always go up to New Hampshire. we got family up there, and, and we spend time on a lake, which we'll be doing again this August. Uh, lake Winnipesaukee, fantastic place, but Storyland's like an hour away from there. So we've, we've got some uh, awkward family photos from Storyland <laughs> from about 25 years ago. Did you see the one of my, my daughter and her first roller coaster experience? It, she looked, it looked like you know the scene in The Right Stuff where the astronauts are experiencing uh, G-forces for the first time. Uh, it, it was classic. Now, next time you go up there, I don't know if you saw it, but 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 close to Storyland is a wonderful uh, off the beaten path barbecue place called the Yankee Smokehouse. I've been. It, it, it's a it's a must stop, and and you'd love it. I I've been, and I, we did one year when we did. Thanksgiving dinner up in Maine, we did a smoked turkey from there with all the trimmings, and the Yankee Smokehouse indeed lives up to billing. That's a cool little part of the world uh, over there in the White Mountains. My only uh, major knock, you know, we, we, need, we need a racetrack up there, Sean. Then, then we could really have some summer fun. That, that would be, and, and certainly that's, that's something that New England's missing. It, you know, you go up there in the summertime, it starts in Saratoga, you go up to Vermont, New Hampshire, and Maine, and it really is. There's no better place this time of year uh, weather-wise, and it's a shame that we don't have any racing up there. I know Suffolk, Suffolk has, has gone by the wayside, and, and all I'm left with are, are great stories from Rockingham Park that I've heard from years from people at Finger Lakes and, and reading articles. I mean, there was, there was an article about Bill Harrigan and the Blood Horse there about a couple weeks ago, and it talked about him and Suge McGahee when he first went out on his own, and he was rubbing horses for Suge at Rockingham Park. And oh, like, that's great. You know, these small little almost fair-esque type deals, I think, you know, I think there's a great place for them in American racing, and uh, I wish they'd come back. I don't know if it's possible, but uh, certainly wouldn't hurt trying. I wonder if there isn't some sort of future of racing that goes a little bit away from these longer meets. You know, we've seen racing not quite be the level we're accustomed to for like the long meet of even Belmont Springs, say, 
but the idea of these uh, these racing festivals, certainly the festival around the Belmont Stakes, you know that that's a great few days of racing. I wonder if there isn't some way to construct spots on the calendar where a smaller place would have a chance to have their few days and it would feel fun and like an event. It's tricky because, of course, horse racing is a, a simulcast product in terms of how we monetize it. So those needs need to be balanced against the needs of having something that is fun to go to on the day. But you can't underestimate how important those smaller experiences could be in terms of creating like the next generation of fans. You see these kids in the backyard at Saratoga year after year and they start to get into it and that's not going to happen looking over daddy's shoulder playing on a laptop the way it is by having a a really prime (laughs) racing experience. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know, I've, you know, it's more and more where, you know, you hear people talking about we'd love to have a commission in in, uh in racing and 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 you know we we expand we'd love to see a good stakes circuit right where where you go around and and every several weeks you have you have a circuit where all these horses have to go to you know the the way that horses and their travel is it's so much easier than it used to be i mean when you go back into into the annals of time man of war didn't even run in the kentucky derby because it was too difficult to ship uh to kentucky at that time like nowadays with with air travel and everything you know I'd love to see everybody get on board and share the pie and, and have these circuits, have these, have these dates more like Europe where, where it's not, everybody's not trying to get that same dollar that same day. And uh, it's got to be better for the overall program of our business. And like you said, I mean, how are you ever going to get new people into our business from other walks of life, from, from the North Dakotas and, and the Mains and, and, and places without having – you know, these small little fairs where a lot of times that's, that's a big deal for families to go out and do on that day. So, um, you know, it's certainly, you talk to anybody in our business and they all have a story as a kid of, of when they got hooked, whether it be their grandfather that took them to the track, you know, one for me that, that I remember is taking granny to, to park racing, getting her a, a cold Miller light and a hot dog and watching her better $2. And, and, and so, you know, there's those fun experiences like that, 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 that make you have good experiences. And, and then once you get to learn the horses and, and, and feel that that passion for them and the passion the horses give you, usually you're, you're hooked. So I like what you're saying. You, you hit on a lot of notes. Uh, the idea of cooperation is a good one. And just the idea of having a little bit more sensible of, uh, a, or let's not say sensible, let's say holistic plan when it comes to the divisions. For, for example, was it really a great idea to have six races for three-year-old fillies in a couple months span? <laughs> We we end up with things like a three horse Lake George. Um, it, anyway, we're hoping that we will in time. You know, I'm not fatalistic at all when it comes to the horse business, but I do think we're at a critical time where a little bit more forethought and a lot more cooperation could lead to that rising tide lifting all ships that we talk about. The metaphor I always use is too often in racing. We see these sort of independent fiefdoms fighting for their individual piece of the pie, where I believe we're at a time now where if we put our heads together and try to make the pie bigger, everybody could really benefit. And I can't be in any more agreement. I mean, uh, certainly I'm not involved in any racetrack management, and, and I'm just on the outside looking in from that standpoint. But, you know, it works really well. Look at it. You know, we are a major professional sport. 
um, and we have professional superstar Hall of Fame athletes. And there's minor leagues. Yes, you, you have to have minor leagues to fill, fill the majors, but it would be great. And, and you don't hear a disgruntled owner in the NFL. You don't hear a disgruntled owner in the Major League Baseball because they're all working together for the best. of. You always hear them talking about for the, we do it for the shield, per se, in, in, in the NFL. And, you know, if you get some people together, look, it, if you don't have horse racing, quite frankly, it doesn't matter. So you, everybody, you know, compromise works and working together and sharing it and seeing these horses come in and out of town and, and starting to get a, a good schedule that trainers can, can work with. And you, and you properly put grade twos and grade threes and preps. And like you said, you don't have six of the identical races within three weeks span of each other. And you start to spread those out, you know, not every horse is going to make every race, but if they're every three weeks, instead of all within a three week span, you're going to have better fields and then they're going to come together. And, and it's even better. You're going to be able to have more of a championship feel throughout the, uh, throughout the year you're going to have your majors you're going to have your grade ones as they do in golf and then you're going to have a fedex you know you have points throughout the year and quite frankly that might be the way that the championship should be decided is point system and win play show and money earned and and decided on the track and not in the ballot box i i like where you're going with this uh, commissioner sean tugel it has an interesting ring to it <laughs> we have our special I don't know about that <laughs> i'm just uh, i'm josh no i mean honestly you, you i one thing that i do love about your perspective sean is that you bring together the points of view of the gambler and the horseman and that's uh, one of the reasons why uh, it, it's so much fun to do this show with you we have a special guest to bring in but i want to take a couple more minutes of your time and get your perspective on what was an unusual to say the least Haskell day but uh, in the end we saw some some incredible drama I was curious how it how it all went down from your point of view well certainly um, when you look at the at the overall scheme you know it went well we, we got to see the Haskell we got to see the horse that crossed the line first in the Derby come back and prove his his really basically as as the top three year old in the division right now. I mean, the horse playing out loves to win, right? Uh, he's run I think five straight triple digit buyer speed figures, which no other three year old has done this year. Um, so it's good to see at least some some three year olds himself showing up every time and performing at the top level. Uh, I know some people want to be a little critical of his loss right before the moment. Uh, before the Haskell in his prep, but he did stumble at the gate, and, and he still ran a triple-digit buyer speed figure, so you can't really take anything away from him there. Um, the overall circumstances of it, it, it was disappointing, um, I'm sure. You know, we, we sponsored a race there, the matchmaker. Um, when, they, when they made the adjustment, obviously the, the, the fields got very short. Um, but it was, it was disappointing, the fact that, that the racetrack themselves, it, and, and this is from hearing – some conversations of, of how and why they had to make those dis, those decisions. It's, it's 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 disappointing that that people don't have the the I guess um, confidence in racetracks to to be able to put on a safe day. I mean, every single uh, veterinarian that I guess was was approached said it's safe. Uh, multiple people at the racetrack and experts all said it's safe. They ran two races. They went very well. They had extra procedures, extra hoses, extra fans. You know, uh, they Gulfstream ran all day. I'm sure it was really hot down there, and they run all summer long. It's disappointing that politicians don't back up the racetracks and the experts of their 
business and their industry um, and let uh, people who have zero expertise in our business make decisions. And then that's what it felt like is, is they succumbed to some of the protesters. Um, now, understandable, they were the only racetrack running that day and all eyes were on them. But no better way to show the power of, of our industry and to stand up against them and say, we put on a safe, a safe show, a great show, come out and see it. Yeah, so I take that, that was point. the only disappointing part. I take that point. Accidentally, I do think we saw how enjoyable as a racing fan and as a better the compressed race card was. I love the fact that there was no dilly-dallying. I, I believe that's something that's worth taking a look at in future for if you are if you are concerned about a day that's meant to be hot or whatever and you days out were to move a post time either up as they've done in England this week or later but with forethought as Monmouth ended up doing and just and running races closer together I just think as a fan that provides it's another thing that just provides a for me and what I just call a nicer experience once they got rolling they really rolled and, and I appreciated that well how did you feel about the accelerated post times when we got there well, I mean, that's, that kind of goes back to what we talked about a couple of weeks ago with Royal Ascot and how they ran six races a day, and when they got running, it was boom, 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 and it was really fun. Uh, you know, the, the marathon day of 14 races and, and, and the huge cards so they can get as much handle as possible, uh, I get it, but, but how many times do you sit there and you're aggravated because it's zero minutes to post and it's 20 minutes after when they're supposed to be running? I mean, <laughs> that's, no, that's no good either. Yeah. Uh, so I, do, I did like the expedited uh, post times. I like the flow. Um, you know, if, if handicappers, they're going to be, if, if you stick to the post times, they can adjust and they, the time in between, you know, that's the casual better is the one that's going to maybe be affected by 25, you know, the, the accelerated post time that the, the major handicappers are going to have all their work done early before the card even gets started. So the $2 better, I don't think it affects them. They just know that they have to be ready in 20 minutes. I do like the flow better. I think it's something that can be achieved, uh, maybe throughout racing, and and the, the the marathon days maybe maybe that's not the best thing for us. It, it's hard to keep everybody's attention for eight to nine hours a day. And now we'd like to bring in that special guest we referenced before. He is the trainer and part owner of Linwood Stables, Gene Riccio. How are you today? I'm good, guys. How are you? Doing very well. Uh, we appreciate your your playing hurt a little bit today. I heard a rumor something about a, a dentist visit. Hopefully everything's all right. Yeah, no, I'm okay. I'll, I'll survive. <laughs> uh, before we get into the specifics, I think this will be very interesting for, we have a lot of listeners in the business. We have a lot of the listeners who come at things from the horse player side of things. The type of training that you do at Linwood Stables isn't probably what most of our listeners are thinking of when they, when they think trainer. They're thinking somebody with a barn at the racetrack. Uh, tell us about the training that you do at Linwood. Well, we pretty much specialize on breaking and training babies. So we take the young horses from the sales and homebreds from the farm and pretty much just teach them how to be a race a racehorse right from the get-go from day one. And we just kind of start off, you know, just teach them simple things like, you know, uh, how to, uh, you know, handle the bridle in their mouth and how to be ridden and get used to the weight and the rider on their back and all that sort of stuff that's not really natural to a horse. Hey, Gene, it's Sean. Uh Certainly, we, we'll go through the list of, of horses that have come off Linwood, and, and uh, 
I'm sure. How exactly was Linwood started? Your father was you. You guys were all young, and you and Mike and Katie and traveling the racetrack circuit, and was looking for a place to to settle the roots for the Recios. Uh, yeah, actually, it was prior before I was born, and um, my dad was training at the racetrack, and I think he kind of just got a, a you know a good size stable built up, but right at the same time, his kids are gotten older, so you know moving around's a little tougher. So I think to have my brother and sister in one spot, he decided to move home with my mom or move here to Ocala, kind of call that place home, so they're in just one spot all year round instead of moving three or four times every year. A little bit more stable. And- there you go. And so, so you grew up obviously watching uh, your father, who's who's an extremely well respected horseman throughout our industry, and uh, saw the great horses have come through there. But but recent times, you've had a looks like a superstar come out of there, Garana. What, you want to expand upon her uh, early training and and what she showed you? Did she always show that she was a superstar, or was she one that it was a little later to come around? I mean, she's. it's cool to be associated with Garana because I was actually worked with her mom, Magical World, when I was working for Shug McGahey, just at a, towards her last couple starts before Three Chimneys bought her as a broodmare. But um, she came to us just, you know, right during the September sale, like the most of those yearlings do. And she was a big, strong, good-looking filly. Looked like she would probably be pretty forward, but she always just had kind of just minor baby issues. Nothing was ever really significant. She just always had you know, a little ankle here, that sort of thing. So we just, uh, thanks to Goncalo Toriabla at Three Chimneys, he just gave us a bunch of time with her, and she prospered. We never turned her out. We never, you know, completely stopped training her or anything like that. We just kind of did what we trail riding and a lot of jogging and that sort of thing, and she just sort of blossomed during the summertime last year and got bigger and stronger and really got more focused, more into her training. So that was pretty cool to see, and then by the time we sent her to Chad, which was like late September, she had turned into a filly that looked like she was going to be pretty serious if everything worked out and a little bit of luck. There's always that luck needed. And she's a really interesting case. Chad Brown, somebody who has such a great rep, but I'd say his rep typically involves uh, patience and horses maybe being a, a little bit older generally. It's interesting to see how this one really hit the ground running and I was curious to ask if there was uh if if you thought that might have anything to do with the training she got before she got to the brown barn or she just such a special case that there there was and so ready to run that there was just there there was no need for patience she was basically a a finished product I I think you're talking about a filly that by the time I sent her in October she was three eighths you know half mile fit and that's just a credit to Chad he he took another four or five months with her just being real patient you know getting her exactly how he wanted her before he let her run so i'd say the base that she had on her i mean she's a filly had a million miles on her if you think about it before she ever made her first start very cool i want to talk to you about your background obviously you you grew up in the business but you mentioned going to work for shug just very curious how your skills developed between the skills that you learned at home growing up and being around horses and, and sort of what you picked up on your own that put you in the position to do the fine work you're doing now? Well, I think the the best part of it was you kind of get to see the final, uh, you know, the final product over what a racehorse is. A lot of people, I think, you know, they're either all racetrack or they're all farm. And it was nice to have a combination of, you know, get some racetrack experience and seeing what it really takes for a horse to, you know, go on and, and, and win races and stay sound and, 
mentally, physically, you know, what it, the toll it takes on them and all that sort of stuff. So I just think it makes me, uh, help me understand everything a lot better. One horse I know you had a relationship with when she was young, just absolute fan favorite in Songbird. I'm curious to hear some stories about what she was like on the farm. Well, Songbird, she was affiliate with the first year I moved back home and started helping my dad here at Linwood. She was, she was part of that first crop. She was a Medaglia d'Oro, but she was untypical. She was kind of medium-sized, you know, smaller, but a little lighter made. She just looked real fast, and she was always very forward and very smart. Philly, like, never had a bad day. But really, we didn't really get to see much from her until we started breezing her. And I'd say, just like good horses will do, after her second, third breeze, she was kind of, you know, she was hard to slow down a little bit. She, she was all business. So that was kind of cool to see her go on like that. And, uh, you know, I've been here for about four years now. I'm looking for the next one, but I think you get spoiled <laughs> whenever you have a filly like that. They don't come around too often. Yeah, that's the next songbird might take uh, might take a little while. Another one I want to ask uh, about, absolutely. we ta- we talked about uh, Guarana and arriving to the races fully formed. Another horse that I know went through Linwood is one who always showed immense potential, but to me took a while for the light switch to really go on and become a superstar and fully fulfill potential i'm talking about honor code what was honor code like to be around it could you could you i'm just curious if it's sort of like uh, in sports where you see an athlete who's incredibly talented and you, you know the head might come a little bit later than the physical gifts or if he just curious what impressions he gave you i mean he was a horse that I mean, his body was caught up to he, he looked like a four-year-old when he was a yearling really um <laughs> and mentally and physically i think that horse had everything you know uh bill parcells they look like Lawrence Taylor. Almost. <laughs> he was a horse. Was, he, he was like, a, you know, just as good as a physical specimen as you could ever find, really. So, you know, a lot of them will surprise you, and a lot of people say that, you know, they saw it on the farm. And some horses, you know, they show you talent and all that. But that horse, he, he really had all the tools. I mean, I guess some of it could be the idea of how he got to the next level later. Some of it's just getting through normal physical stuff that happens. I think a lot of fans don't realize you know, all, all the he little things. He was such a big horse, and Suge was very, very, very patient with him. And, you know, he did have some setbacks earlier in his three-year-old career. And just with those type of owners and that trainer, you know, they gave him all the, you know, every shot in the world to make it. And thank God they did because he really did turn around as, as an older horse. But – I think he really did have all the, you know, that talent before. It just took some time for him to kind of, you know, uh, mature into his body. Gene, uh, now that you are, are fully submersed in uh, Linwood Stable with your dad and, and, and taking over a lot of the day-to-day uh, uh, work and responsibilities throughout Linwood Stables, it seems uh, in the last two years I think you are starting to expand into the pin-hooking uh, realm and I know this year you hung your own shingle and, and sold some two-year-old pin hooks. Uh, is that something that you see expanding and you're going to focus a lot more time on? And uh, for anybody who might be interested in, in getting involved with you in pin hooking, how, how would they go about doing that? Uh, you know, for the most part, Sean, I'd like to keep a good balance of it. Um, I do enjoy ba- breaking the babies for the sales. It's, it's a little bit more action involved and stuff like that. But at the same time, I kind of want to stick to what we've been doing and just kind of basically just breaking horses and doing layups and stuff like that for the racetrack. Um, now you never know how things go and how everything works out, but for the most part, I'll, I'm just taking some horses for some, some friends and, you know, some breeders and that sort of thing, but not too many partnerships at the moment. 
I've got to ask, Gene, about uh, some of the two-year-olds coming off the farm this year and if you have any to uh, you're particularly excited about or that we should be keeping an eye on. Um, well, yeah, there's a filly that I had in the OBS March Hill, actually, an into mischief filly named for Eric Johnson, and her name's Comical. So she won first time out about six weeks after the March sale sure. by six. She was a TD and Rising Star, and then she just came back and won the Skylerville. Yep. So I, be- I believe she's gearing up for the Del Mar debutante, so that'll be exciting. Um, I had a filly by American Pharaoh that was half the Lady Eli. Ooh. We're very excited about her. She- uh, Chad Brown has her. Of course, I think we'll kind of go the same route as, as he went with Girl Rana. We'll take a little time with her. Big, big filly, probably a little lighter frame, needs to develop a little bit, but she's very nice, and I think she has a lot of talent. So. That's very cool. Definitely one. To, that's, a, that's a pedigree for sure to keep an eye on. I wanted to ask you a question about horse players and a question about uh, reading the racing form and studying it. I would imagine with what your role is, it's not something that it, – it's not going to help you uh, do a better job necessarily on the farm. But I'm curious if you enjoy the process of handicapping horse races, if you bet, and, uh, and, and how you look at the world from that point of view. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Just the uh, same as in every sport, there's things changing every day. So I, I'm always reading the TDN and the Blood Horse Daily and all that sort of stuff. And just at least going through the farm and just seeing the horses that we've had previously um, here on the farm and, you know, taught the early lessons that just watching their form and how they developed, it's pretty gratifying. So I do enjoy looking at that every day. Very cool. All right, Gene. I, I do know, I do know he likes playing the horses because he <laughs> held, he held one close to his vest when we were at OBS in the simulcast room. And I play some Bob Baffert horse that backed out and he's sitting there cheering and the horse ended up being battled midway. Thanks for that four to one. There we go. Yep, yep, yep. Very, very nice horse there for sure. All right, Gene, we'll let you get on with your day. Thank you so much. Hopefully uh, we'll get a chance to see you when you – I assume you'll be he- heading up here uh, in a week or so? Yeah, absolutely. I'll be there for the sale. Good deal. Gene Riccio, thanks so much for your time today. Well, thank thanks, you, guys. Gene. Have a good one, all right? All right, Sean, that was fun. A very great perspective to bring on and something, yeah, I think a lot of our listeners won't really have uh, necessarily even understood that how important that job is, the the pre-training. We talked yeah. a little bit with Jonathan Thomas about it, but fantastic to, to bring in that, uh, that other perspective as well. All right, Sean, let's move on to the handicapping portion of this program. And no pressure or anything, but you've got a little streak going here in giving out winners on these shows. Let's see if it can continue. The first race we'll talk about is the fourth at Saratoga on Saturday. Maiden special weight going five and a half furlongs. Some, a couple interesting looking runners in here from my point of view, but I'm really curious to hear what you think about this crew. Yeah, I think we're going to start getting into the meat of, of the, the big-time two-year-olds with pedigree kind of starting to show up and high-priced horses. Certainly, uh, we see that here. Uh, you know, the horse from the inside, you know, Nick Zito got off, got off the duck the other day and won a race at Saratoga, and, and he had a two-year-old that ran really well there about a week ago. So his carpe diem there on the, uh, on the inside of 20-1 to could be a sneaky horse that could run a good race, um, certainly from a from – a, pedigree standpoint uh you have the four horse for uh homebred for claiborne farm who's a half sibling to uh the uh, grade one winning lee so that that could be a horse well meant that probably is a horse that probably needs one race um you know the, you got a 
big time $800,000 horse for Steve Asmussen. It looks live. They had a 59 and four out of the gate. He's the, the eight to five morning line favorite. Uh, Part of an entry that, with, the, uh, with the Pletcher runner. Yes. Say what? The shoplifted is coupled with Soviet. I think that's the reason the, that yeah. morning line is as short as it is, yeah. but they, they both look live. Yeah, I mean, I, Todd Pletcher out of that mare, and, and, and he was also the trainer of Super Savory. He's also the trainer of Competitive Edge. So uh, I think that horse is extremely live. And a horse that uh, has a little tout from his trainer that, that thinks he has some talent and certainly has a couple serious works under his belt is the uh, seven, who uh, is complexifier for Brian Lynch there. And, and that is a full sibling to uh, introspection who uh, ran several good races, hit the board several times, and broke her maiden last year as a two-year-old. So uh, that's a horse on the outside that, that looks like he might be kind of live at a price. Interesting. Now, now you, uh, you're talking about the Brian Lynch runner complexifier there? Yes. Yep, the overanalyze. So Lynch, not a trainer I think of as always necessarily having them ready first out. So I'm curious, when you hear a tip – from a barn that's not necessarily known for first out wins is that one that you just sort of file away and say okay this is going to be a good runner i want to take them seriously and think that they're going to be a progressive type throughout their two-year-old year or do you say this is one i'm not going to let beat me as a better on the day well i mean certainly brian lynch is more than capable of getting a horse ready first time uh you look at his work tab he had him down at keeneland he had the gate breeze there 46 and change so the horse is well meant he thinks he's good enough to take him up to Saratoga uh, from Keeneland where he was training instead of running in a race at Ellis Park, which is an easier ship. Yep. So um, I think from that perspective, um, yes, you're going to look at it with a little bit of a, a tepid tepid eye, especially against, uh, you know, the likes of Fletcher, who definitely are cranked first time out. But, uh, you know, when, when you hear somebody who may not always have them cranked first time out, start touting one it's probably worth paying attention to right away i like what you're saying so if you feet to the fire on the ones that you you mentioned in that rundown which one are you would you, would you call your top pick just so we can tout it when you uh, when you get another winner um i think i'd have to probably go with the pletcher super saver horse okay. that, that merits a, a proven uh stakes producer uh deep uh mrs Payson family so uh Certainly, Pletcher's been extremely uh, productive with, with Super Saver offspring, and, and I think he's ready to fire a big one. And you get Shoplifted in the mix, too, who, if you'd made me pick between Shoplifted and Soviet, I might have even gone with Shoplifted. It's a, they both look so live, but I like the idea of mixing in No Bad Days and, and Complexifier underneath as well. Absolutely. Let's move on to race number seven, mile and a 16th on the melon. Uh, the one who I was gravitating towards, as I'm sure many people will, if only for trainer, owner, and rider, but also looked like a pretty interesting pedigree on the dam side with economic policy for Chad Brown and Klarovich and Erad Ortiz. What did you like in this race? Um, certainly, and, and I may be wrong, but, but it seems like we haven't quite seen one of those, those monster two-year-olds come out from the Brown barn, uh, this mile 16th race here, he's got two shots, um, the Giants Causeway, uh, high price, you know, $210,000, uh, weanling certainly looks like he has every chance to run well, but honestly, I kind of was maybe even drawn to his other horse, 
uh, blanket of roses. You know, the kitten's joy mare and, and being a looking at Lucky got Castellano on it. And certainly when you're talking connections, uh, Chad Brown and, and Ken Ramsey and Sarah Ramsey have had all kinds of success. I was actually drawn to another first-time starter in here, uh, Are You Kitten With Me, Michael Maker. Uh, he's got Jose Ortiz on. Uh, Kitten's Joy, I have a perfect soul mare. Certainly the distance won't be an issue. Certainly the turf won't be an issue. Um, fired a bullet minute flat there, uh, two works back. So that's a horse at 6-1 to one that, that really drew drew my attention. And, and another horse who's a first-time starter, and, and I think the Grand Motion horses have run well first time out, but uh, certainly and are capable of winning first out, but probably is one to maybe watch and see how he runs. Or, or, and, uh, and, and if it runs well, maybe play it back, is the, uh, the Uncle Mo out of a very talented uh, Carlo Viveri, who uh, I think she was a grade one winner at, at Keeneland, maybe the QE2. But uh, that's a homebred for Alex Campbell. So I, I'm actually drawn to those two first-time starters with a lot of interest. And certainly, anytime Chad Brown has a has a horse in a in a two turn turf race, two year old, you you have to give him a lot of respect. For sure, yeah. Bye bye, Melvin is the Uncle Mo uh, homebred for Alex Campbell that you're you're talking about. I was super impressed, and we should probably do some more of this recapping. We on the other show all the time. We do the production meetings in the middle of the show. We should do them here as well. Looking back at some of the two year olds we've seen already, the shared account uh, that uh, sharing was the name out of shared account that ran yeah. for motion the other day. I just thought was. Ran incredible race, full of run, galloped out so well. One that looks, one will be overdue to uh, to, to be in the winner's circle very shortly. What two-year-olds have you seen that have uh, that have really impressed you so far? Uh, well, certainly that the spike town out of shared account there sharing. I, I do think that was a quite an impressive uh, race by her, and 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 in all honesty, you could say that's kind of the horse that you'd want out of that race, even though she wasn't the winner. Uh, another horse last week was Liam's Maps first winner, Basin. I thought that horse came yep. back and was very impressive, impressive on Sunday. 86 buyer, flatters by your side. You know, by your side beat that horse. A nose, I think it was, at Churchill Downs first time out. By your side came back and won the, the, the Sanford. Basin came back and, and ran an 86 buyer and won impressively. Him and the Jeremiah Englehart, Mr. Speaker horse that ran second, I think they were probably six clear of third. Uh, so that's probably been the most impressive um, two-year-old race that I can really put my finger on so far uh, of the meet. Another one I'll just mention that ran last Friday, the Shug McGahey trained Philly, Mrs. Danvers. This is another that will be on everybody's horse-to-watch list next time. Uh, sort of walked out of there, got into the race on her own courage, and ended up galloping out best of all. Just just ran a, a huge race that uh, I'm very interested to wager on or, or certainly uh, you never know. Sometimes when they these two-year-olds that have the obvious trouble, they just get so buried at the windows the next time. But Mrs. Danvers is another high on my list of horses to watch in terms of two-year-olds we've seen at Saratoga. Let's move on and talk about some two-year-olds at Del Mar. And we can – I think you've got some time constraints here, Sean, if I'm not mistaken. So we can breeze through a couple of two-year-old races at Del Mar on Saturday and Sunday. And let's start with Saturday's first race. What what did you like in here? Yeah, uh, one that jumps off at me is uh, is a horse by, by our stallion constitution. Uh, he's already a great stakes-producing sire and has, uh, I think, five – uh, made special weight winners out there now with good numbers. 
this horse has been working very well for Keith DeSormo, who is plenty capable of getting one to win first time out. Uh, Silverton Hill paid $200,000 for the Colt in, in September. So, so I think this horse could be uh, well meant. Um, certainly a horse, when we go back uh, upon um, some, some high-priced two-year-olds that, that we're expecting to show up is Sky Kingdom's horse here, the $875,000 uh, two-year-old purchase out of the Phasic Tipton Miami sale. Uh, this horse is nine to five on the line. Was was what we consider call, we 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 call them a freak at the sales. I mean, just a just a massive specimen on the end of the shank. Breezed extremely well. Um, got through all that process. Certainly came out of the uh, out of the out of the sale extremely well. You look at his work tab. I mean, this horse uh, is very well meant first time out. Now it is his first start, and and things can happen. But uh, I'd have to say the two horse is definitely the one to beat in this race. All right, let's talk about the grass race that happens a little bit later in the card, which is the ninth at Del Mar. Anything of interest? Um, I like the Simon Callahan, the Carpe Diem first-time starter. Uh, Dre and Van Dyke's on there. Simon Callahan's always always good with first-time starters. I like that horse quite a bit. Um, the other horse that I think uh, deserves a lot of uh, respect is the Michael McCarthy uh, Quality Road that brought $210,000 last year as a yearling. Uh, the half-sibling to this horse is interested in New York bred uh, yearling sale, so I'm sure the, uh, the breeder, Three Cs, is looking for a, a big update here. Uh, but I think uh, the Quality Road being out of footsteps in the sand mare should should take to uh turf obviously like ducks take the water so uh <laughs> i think the two imprint uh is certainly the horse to beat with uh with maybe the five antigon as a as a good backup i'm going with antigone on that name pronunciation there but i don't okay. know i don't know maybe that's how they say it sunday's uh, first... in, Wood in woodford county kentucky will go with antigon <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yes i'm not and i'm not going to tell you it's called versailles kentucky so you I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll leave that one to you uh, Delmar's first on Sunday, a field of first-time starters. Who's the pedigree to look at here? Well, certainly uh, the horse on the outside for Bob Baffert, the uh, half-sibling to uh, Arrogate, is, uh, is one that <laughs> uh, I'm sure everybody's going to be excited to see this this uh, filly. Obviously, by end of mischief, she just fired a 47-2 and bullet. Uh She's had several gate works, though, and, uh, you know, that's not something uncommon for Bob Baffert to have one or two gate works going into a race. Um, but I'm actually going to be drawn down to uh, the two horse here. I don't have morning line odds in front of me, but the, the Dan Ward, Mike Smith, Cherokee Maiden, uh, stored humor filly out of the champion's folklore. Um, she was a beautiful uh, filly at the sales. This is a filly that I followed a lot. Uh, from the time she was born, being by distorted humor, saw her on the farm. Uh, she was one of my favorite yearling fillies last year. So uh, I'm hoping to see a big performance from her. would love to see Michael Stinson, who's fairly new to the game, have a big horse. Uh, and it'd be great for Dan Ward. He just took out his trainer's license to have a top-notch two-year-old. So I'm, uh, I'm certainly cheering for the distorted humor folklore, uh, but the half to arrogate on the outside is, uh, is a scary prospect, I'm sure. That's going to be a fun race to watch. Wouldn't be surprised if we end up recapping that one on our show next week. Let's close things out with another grass race. It goes as the sixth on Sunday. A mix of first-time starters and ones who've run on the dirt in here. Where is your eye drawn? I am going to go draw. This 
is a little bit of a go back and watch a replay. Mm-hmm. Uh, we like the that. The horse on the outside, rail splitter, the Bodemeister. So if you go back and watch his race, uh, there's three horses that, that hit the line together. Um, and it was sprinting at San Diego four and a half. This horse want, definitely wants to go further. It's also a race that uh, a horse called Surveillance for Keith DeSormo. He was coming up the rail and clipped heels and almost went down. Uh, that's another horse to take out of that race. But this horse, Rail Splitter, if you watch the gallop out, absolutely from about the 16th pole to an eighth to a quarter mile past the wire, absolutely exploded past the rest of the group. And this horse is one that I circled and said, you know what, keep an eye for this horse to come back. I like the stretch out and distance. I l- don't mind him getting onto turf. Bodie Meisters have been good on turf. Go Sapper Mare, solid on turf. Um, so that's a horse that I'm going to say, go and get him. I, I love this gallop out. I hope he doesn't uh, make me look foolish. <laughs> now, if you're looking for two other horses, um, I do think War Beast on the inside, Doug O'Neill. Uh, he's, you know, looked like a setup first race to set him up for this, a declaration of war out of point given merit. Wants to go further, probably wants turf. So that could be a very interesting uh, horse. Obviously gets the, the ultra-talented Drayden Van Dyke. And then... Uh, the other horse I think that has a big chance is, is uh, Richard Baltus, the city dip, uh, getting on turf, going a mile. It should have no problem there. Uh, I, you know, Gary Fenton would be the guy to ask and see how live he is there. <laughs> Gary, who is uh, a friend of these podcasts and somebody will will likely have on this show and the In the Money Players podcast again. One other note about that rail splitter hit the road race. Two have come back to run a, a second and a first different races, both improve their figures. That's the kind of thing I like to look at just in general to determine how live a certain heat was, is to look at, uh, you know, the next time, did they run the same numbers? Did they go faster? Did they go slower? Obviously, with two-year-olds, they're supposed to run faster, so it's not a tremendous form boost, but just the fact that you had two live runs coming out of that field, just another reason to keep an extra eye on your trip horse there, rail splitter. And I think that's about all the time we have, Sean. I know you've got a crazy day. Remind me again, when do you arrive in Saratoga? We will be uh, crossing into Saratoga sometime next Thursday. Nice. Very excited. I mean, uh, it was a very interesting article there last week. From uh, They did an interview with Mike Francesca. And, and he says, you know, Saratoga is August. And when August gets here, it feels like we're ready to roll. So uh, I, I've got that sentiment with them and, and uh, pretty excited for it. Looks like two-year-old races are getting ready to, to ramp up. You know, the, the meat and heart of, of, of uh, you know, the preps, the Jim Dandy, the curling, prepping that into the, uh, into the Travers. It looks like it's going to be a great field of three-year-olds, everyone coming together at the end of the meet. And uh, so, you know, you do feel the excitement of, of, of Saratoga and Del Mar. It looks like, the, you know, they, they got the cobweb shaken off and, and they're into, <laughs> into full, uh, full go mode now. So uh, I'm, I'm pretty excited to get up there, as I'm sure uh, the rest of Fayette and the surrounding counties of Kentucky are as well. <laughs> it's starting to build. It's been, it's been <laughs> such an unusual meet. First time we ever started so early, and obviously we've had some of this weather weirdness, but I feel like as we get into August, as we get all the industry people arriving, it's really going to start feeling like Saratoga, and I think you're right about how the Travers is shaping up to be a, a proper showdown, and we're hoping that extra week between the Haskell and the Travers helps uh, make that even a little bit more competitive and make us believe we can see maximum security's best shot 
And, I mean, he's passed, uh, certainly passed the test the other day. Be very interesting to see how he shapes up against these horses who are going to be running in the Curl and, and the Jim Dandy over the next couple of days. And always happy to hear Mike Francesa get a call on this show. Little known fact, my father taught him in high school at Maria Regina High School out on Long Island. So he's, uh, he's long been a family friend. And while we have very different broadcasting styles, I think it's safe to say he's somebody who's certainly been an influence in terms of a guy who's uh, not afraid to talk about what he wants to talk about and and uh, give strong opinions from time to time. So glad to hear his name on the In the Money Airways. Well, it certainly seems like uh, he might be a future guest that you can pull some uh, old family ties with. We should definitely do that. And this would be the show. I think he'd probably enjoy coming on here and talking industry stuff more than he would just going on the other show and picking some horses. But of course, we'll hold his feet to the fire and try to get him picking some horses as well. That's a good idea. I'll get to work on that. And that's going to do it for this edition of the In the Ring Pedigree Podcast. Uh, I want to thank Sean Tugel. I want to thank Gene Riccio. We'll thank JK. Couldn't make it traveling out to Del Mar. He'll get a chance to look at some of those babies and, and give us his thoughts. That'll be a lot of fun. I uh, want to thank most of all, all of you, the listeners, this new group of listeners we're putting together, it's been, uh, it's been a really fun show to do. I learn something every week, one of my favorite hours of work of the week, and that's largely because of you all. This show's been a production of In The Money Media. In The Money Media's business manager is Drew Coatney. I'm Peter Thomas Fornital. May the hammer drop your way. <laughs>